Starting here in a couple minutes. I was gonna let people get in here. It looked like a couple of people were coming in, so. Thank you for the allergies this morning. I am. Oh man, that's why I didn't. Oh, you might have been in the hospital for other reasons. That was a hill. There was a lot of. That was aggressive. That was aggressive. It was extremely aggressive. I'm feeling it right here this morning. But I did take the other like you guys recommended. Really? Relieve, which is great. Yeah. All right, we're going to be. I'm going to. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta call and call and call. Cause if I'm not right next to my phone, I'm too busy Sunday morning. Yeah, I, I used to long time ago. Uh, no, I didn't say that. I just said they gotta figure it out. <laughs> All right, we're talking about false views of the cross this morning. Um, and I want to talk about why it's important to discuss this. Typically, I don't talk about every counterfeit idea that's out there because there are a massive amount of wrong ideas. Um, and you can spend all your time talking about things that people have gotten wrong instead of just telling what's right. And that tends to take care of things. But uh, I want to, uh, what we're going to look at is four, four ideas of the cross that are incorrect that, to a varying degree, seem correct. There's a lot of correct ideas in there, but, but sometimes the wrong thing uh, can look right. Um, and, and that's what makes them so dangerous. Just, you go back to the first lie ever told is, well, surely you won't die. Well, there was some truth in there, right? Satan is very good at putting a little truth into a lie uh, and making it extremely dangerous. So with each of these that we'll go through, we'll, we'll agree with some of the, the concepts and the scripture references that they misuse. But we're talking about uh, the purpose uh, of the cross. And, and, and this is because we're talking, we're getting back into the book here. Uh, uh, faith once for all. So, uh, and, and he's talking about, we're talking about the work, the person and the work of Christ. Uh, so I want to talk about four, uh, four false ideas. And, uh, and it has to, one of the ways that they, he describes it is 
who the object is, what or who or what is the object of the cross in each of these ideas. Um, and so he begins with the uh, the concept of it being the, the covenant, uh, being the idea. It's it's a, a covenantal. Uh, the cross is covenantal, as he he describes it. Uh, it is to complete the imagery of the Old Testament. Uh, you guys are back, so we'll we'll get you back into the swing of things. Uh, Glenn, if you want to read Luke chapter twenty-two, verse twenty. Luke twenty-two, verse twenty. Likewise, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you." Okay, so so we get the concept of a new covenant. It's connected to Christ's death. Now, when I want to be clear that when I say it's, what is the purpose? There's a difference between something being connected and something being the purpose or the, the reason for something. So I'll take that one, and then, Diane, if you could read Hebrews 9.15. Okay, so it, when you read this right off, it sounds like, yes, this is the purpose. The, the purpose of the cross itself is, is, the, uh, is the covenant. And again, there, it's obviously connected to the covenant. Um, and one more, uh, Romans chapter... Well, more than one more. But Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Um, Amanda, if you could read that. Romans 9, 4 and 5. Okay, so uh, the, the idea is, is Paul here is talking about the Jewish people. And he says, theirs is the covenants. And, and, and if we read this really quick, it sounds like it's almost still in effect, doesn't it? He's like, theirs is the covenant, not theirs was. And, and so the idea that, that many people have is that the 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 new covenant really is just kind of an updated version. It's just old covenant 2.0. And that the crucifixion, the, the cross, everything surrounding this, Christ's work was really to, to just kind of, you know, change some of the policy a, a little bit and, and get us to, to this. And, and that clearly is incorrect. Uh, there's one other verse that you and you'll hear this. Um, Matthew chapter five verse seventeen is is another one. Marcia, if you want to read that, Matthew five seventeen and eighteen. Matthew five seventeen and eighteen. 
again, this is in a much longer section, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, when we read this verse, what's, what comes to your mind? What do you think about the law? How, how does it almost look like it's saying? Well, it says that he's fulfilling okay. that covenant. Okay. The law. That, that's a really important point in here. You says that every dot. Right. Right, and and that's the accurate view of this, to take all of the clauses in this sentence and, and make sure that they're all... But some people just kind of do a shorthand version of this and say, the law's in effect. It says so until heaven and earth pass away. It's like, wait a minute. Until heaven and earth pass away, yes, it's, it's valid until such point as it's fulfilled. In other words, if it had never been fulfilled... It would still be in effect. You can't just remove it. And, and Christ says, I, I didn't come just to remove it and get rid of it and, and, uh, and, and axe murder it. And, you know, and he didn't come in and say, listen, I know what you were told in the law, but that's a, just a bunch of hooey. You know, I'm, I'm here now. And he said, no, I came to fulfill it. And that's the means by which he gets it out of the way. And you will see uh, that this covenantal idea uh, is taught to varying degrees. Uh, uh, I would say Jews for Jesus would heavily st still go to the importance of the law and the Israelites and the covenants and the promises and all that stuff. Uh, probably primarily you'll hear this among Seventh-day Adventists. They love, they'll, they'll, you'll be in the Old Testament way more with a Seventh-day Adventist than you will in the New Testament. Um, Most of these scriptures that you're talking about yeah. are taken out of context. Yes, now. yes. You've got to literally read, especially like this, mm -hmm. this Romans one, Romans 9. Yeah. He's talking about the Israel people, mm -hmm. not about the covenant. Right. They were given both covenants first. That's that's true. Also, and that's what he's talking about right. here. Is yeah, that the covenants, they were the divine race mm -hmm. that was given those covenants, yeah. not that they've been fulfilled or unfulfilled. So that that's accurate, and and every good every good false idea has to take something out of context. That's I think the point. Um, you'll see uh, Jehovah's Witness to a lesser extent. Then the Seventh Day Adventists, they they share kind of a, a an origin way 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 back, um, and um, some fringe Pentecostal groups are very like you'll notice you talk almost more about the Old Testament than you talk about the New Testament with them. They're very very big on the law, so um, that I, I want to talk about the flaws in this idea. Um, because one of the things that this does is it almost makes the New Testament subordinate to the Old Testament. Um, so, um, 
we've already established that the Old Testament was the shadow, right? It was not the main thing. Uh, it was made with term limits. You can see that. You can go back through the Old Testament and 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 look at the term limits that are coming. It, it's always and, and Hebrews is premised upon that idea. The Book of Hebrews is premised on the idea that that it's going to be taken out of the way. And he says when he says the when he says a new covenant, the old is and he's quoting there. He's quoting Old Testament, and so the Old Testament is constantly quoting, or the New Testament is constantly old, quoting the Old Testament to to say. It told you it was temporary. Why didn't you get this idea? Um, in substance, also, Christ's work was the intent. It was, not, it was not like a reaction to some failed attempt of the law, which is kind of what that turns Christ's work into. If, if, if the Old Testament was designed to be this eternal thing, and all of a sudden we have Christ dying for a new thing. It, 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 makes, it makes Christ out to be kind of like a, an emergency. You've got to figure it out. What are we going to do now? Oh, Christ, Christ, you've got to come. Right? When we've talked about what that was designed from the foundation of the world. So uh, it is, I think, uh, some significant flaws. The greatest flaws, however, are that it makes Christ's work very insignificant other than a few policy changes right uh, we, we're supposed you know depending on again depending on the religious group that we're talking about you know oh no we're supposed to still keep the the saturday sabbath we're supposed to still do this we're supposed to still do that we're supposed to like christ came here and he lived and he died and he did all this stuff for a few policy changes i, I really don't think that was the intent of of that, uh, and so it minimizes his his work. Uh, no, he came for a dramatic change. He came for such a dramatic change that even like as soon as he starts talking, people are like it, when you go through the life of Christ, he barely was opening his mouth, and they were already planning to kill him. But, like that's not like something at the very end, that's like at the very beginning. Uh, so, uh, it also misportrays the miracle of prophecy. I want to, uh, uh, Marge, do you want to read Isaiah forty-six verse ten? And I think this is something I've heard even in churches. We kind of put the, the cart before the, the horse here, in a sense. Uh, Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end and the result from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure and purpose. Okay, so, so this is, again, this is in the middle of a, a, a longer section where he's talking about idols and he's talking about false gods. And he's saying, listen, uh, if you want to prove that you're a god, all you've got to do is do what I do. Just predict the future accurately. What other, what other religion is there doing that? We'll, we'll step into the arena 
and start predicting world events. Start reading. Like we went through Daniel a few years ago and, and Daniel is a book that is so accurate that, that they conclude that it couldn't possibly have been divine because it's so accurate. So it must have been written after all of these events took place. Like the, from, starting from what chapter 7 through the end, the, the, the order of events in, in the Greek in the Greek wars and things like that and with Israel and, and with other nations around it are so detailed. Conspiracies, specific alliances that were made between North and South and all these different places. They said Daniel was written probably around 200 when he's looking back and pretending he's writing it before because it's so detailed. Uh, that's the nature of prophecy and the important and the reason I bring this up is that many people look at Christ and go, man, it's so amazing that he fulfilled all this prophecy. No. That's not the purpose of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is so we can be amazed at God's ability to predict Christ. In other words, Christ had Christ's death, all that was already set. Christ was going to do what Christ was going to do from the foundations of the world. That was set. That's, that's the object. That's there in God's mind. That's, that's history. That's why a lot of times prophecy is written from past tense. You, you'll read prophecies like, was this something that already occurred? Is this something that's good? Because I think it's referring to something that's not happened yet. In God's mind, it's past tense. It's already happened. He sees it as history. The amazing thing is that he predicts it. Not that, that Christ went, ooh, there's that one in Psalms 22. I better do that one. And always oh, said, there's this one over here. I better do that one and make sure I get them all done. That, that's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is God knew and looks at the past. And, and so the covenantal idea kind of takes the same viewpoint where, where Christ is kind of reacting to history. And, and, and doing all this stuff to try to react to man's sin between Adam, you know, and his dad. <laughs> that time period. Like, Christ isn't reacting. Christ was pre-acting, in a sense. He was, he was already set up. So, so that's, and of the four ideas that we're going to, we're going to kind of get to where you'll see more and more the ideas are. Like we talk about, these are just a couple of fringe groups that believe this. So uh, the second one is what I'd call interpersonal. Uh, the idea here is that the purpose of the cross was to repair, and this is true, and we've talked about this, the relational divide between God and man. Is that accurate? It is accurate that Christ came to do that. It is not the when we say the purpose of the cross, that's not the purpose of the cross specifically. Obviously, it was one of the, the goals of God. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, we talked about this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Mike, do you want to read that? Chapter 3, verse 22. Sorry if I said that backwards. Genesis three twenty-two through 24. And the Lord God said to man, Also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so, so this is that separation. And we've talked about the separation and the divide of the relationship. It's, it's, to me, it's no, uh, it's no coincidence that the next chapter we get really the first religious things in history. We get sacrifice and we get prayer at the, at the, at, at the end of chapter 4. Prayer is meant men started calling on the name of the Lord. And, and man is trying to replace this lost fellowship that he had when he was able to walk with God in the garden. Uh, that that is a that is an accurate thing to say that that man was that that Christ repairs the relationship. That is definitely a thing. Uh, but I want to talk about how the cross is abused in this view because it's it's subtle. Uh, it is reduced um, in in those who use it, and I'll talk about kind of those who use it. it, it it's used. This is a modern thing. This is a, like I, I often refer to the fuzzy gospel, where we, we take the harshness out and we take the, we don't like to talk about the blood so much. A lot of religions are not really into talking about blood and atonement and things like that. It's purely relational. It's just about being friends with God. That's what Christianity is about. And, and you hear it in, if you turn on Caleb, that's all your songs. I want to be friends with you, and I like you a lot, Jesus, and you're my bestie, and whatever songs there. <laughs> that's the way that music is today. This is that fuzzy gospel where, where it's, it's only relational. And it's not that there's not a religious component, but the problem is, is that it's reduced to that. That's not, the, that, that's not the, the core of what the cross does. That, that's not the main idea. That's a side effect. That's a, that's a benefit of it. Um, and uh, it, it's reduced to, uh, and, and, and these are what some people even, uh, I, I, he gave a list of names, and I wasn't familiar with them, so I didn't put them in here. But um, it's basically the cross is reduced to a motivation to repentance. Look at how nice Jesus was to die for you. Don't you want to be good? You know. Um, don't you want a relationship with Jesus? Um, and Christ's sinlessness is reduced to an example of how you should live. Instead of being what Christ's sinlessness is taught, in, in Hebrews and elsewhere, that it was, it was a necessary thing for him to do so that he could be an atonement. It, see, it, it changes the nature of Christ's work. And so the fuzzy gospel just loses its potency. It, it, the, the cross loses its power. Um, I like that you call that a fuzzy gospel, too, because it, it, you're right, it's Yeah. Like, that's not the relationship. The new right. point in the Old or New Testament is that the relationship, we are to be subservient right. to the Almighty. That's why he's called the Almighty. We're not, he's not Almighty and we're not Almighty. We're going to be best buds. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, we reduce Christ to a peer relationship in a, in a, in a lot of in a lot of, uh, and, and certainly the Bible doesn't teach Christ the relationship with Christ the same as with the Father, but it's still but he's still the the word is still master, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> right. Right. Um. It also, a subtle thing that this does is it emphasizes my role in getting into the relationship. Jesus died as basically being a motivational speaker. And it's, it's my self-help that gets, don't you want to get back into the relationship? You be nice. Just, just look at his encouragement from the cross. And, 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 do, and it's not that my work isn't necessary. It's not that I don't, I don't work. It's not that the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is an element of that. But it, <clears throat> excuse me, it places the emphasis on me by reducing Christ's work in it. I don't know if that makes sense. I saw a hand. Yeah. So if you dumb down that relationship that Christ has and don't have it like, you know, on equal playing field, then that fear of reverence thing goes out the window. Right. You have to be that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and well, so that. Who's afraid of somebody with their arms open all the time? Right. Yes. Right. You're not afraid of that. Right. There's there's longing maybe, but there's no urgency. That's a. I like I like the way you phrased that. Like 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 constantly begging me. For a relationship, and that 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 gets back to what we were talking like on Sundays, but where. God isn't. You know, God God isn't going to be diminished by a lack of a relationship with me. I'm the one that's diminished by a lack of relationship with God. God has extended it, but God is not like, please, I'm going to die without you. No, no. Um, so <clears throat> the third one. I see water bottle here. Now. So it's drunk out of already, but it's... <clears throat> the third one. You'll hear a little bit more, maybe. And this is where Satan is the object of the cross. Satan is the purpose for the cross. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Connie, do you want to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15? Fourteen and 15. So, <clears throat> was Satan a consideration in the crucifixion? Well, certainly he's connect. You can't unconnect them. You can't unconnect him from the mess. He's the one that tempted Adam and Eve. That led to a fall. Whether he made it happen or not, that's that's not the point. He's connected. He's a part of the topic. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Kenzie, do you want to read that? Matthew 20, 28. We're looking at scriptures. No. Matthew 20, 28. 
this says what <laughs> it looks like what you're saying here. Okay, uh, who is a ransom paid to? The park, right? Well, who are we in ransom to? Who did we sell ourselves to? Does it, you say, well, so therefore, Jesus is dying as a ransom. The ransom is paid to the devil. Right? This, is, this is a logic argument. I'm going to actually illustrate how this is not accurate. First um, John 3.8, one more. Uh, Cass, do you want to read First John 3.8? Okay, so, so, so look at Satan's been the center from the beginning. He's the one that we're, we're selling. And all this, all this stuff comes and we do it and he's tempting. So I've sold myself to him. And these are all metaphors. These are all, and, and unfortunately, we make a doctrine out of a metaphor. And I'll, I'll guarantee probably the most of us are familiar with something and, and thought it was a great. How many of you saw Narnia? You ever see or red, red Narnia, right? And uh, it portrays, uh, it, you have to understand that, that, uh, that C.S. Lewis came out from, from a very mystical background. He has a very dark background. Uh, and so it portrays the White Witches as, as Satan in his books. And if you remember, uh, I, I think it's Ed, Edmund or Edward, whichever which one, Edmund, I think, he, he does something wrong, and, and Aslan has to go die for it. But you, in the portrayal, I think it's in both the book and the movie, it's presented in the terms of the deep magic. You familiar with that term? Remember the deep magic? It's, ca- it's called the deep magic. It was this arrangement between Satan, or the White Witch, and Aslan. And it is clearly a portrayal of, of Satan, and it's this agreement between them that that if the if if they fall and do the wrong thing then they become ownership or property of the white witch and the only way that aslan would have to get the person back would be to die to submit to the white witch and it's like oh it's very christy and it's very nice and all that it it's this idea it's it's satan as the object to be appeased by the creator of <laughs> Satan. The, the creator of Satan has to appease Satan. And you see that? It's like, ooh, wait a minute here. Let's back up and see. It, it, it places Satan on a peer level. The, the last one we talked about places me on a peer level, which is really awful. This places Satan on a peer level with Christ. Um, so, and actually, in a sense, since he has to appease him, it subordinates Christ to Satan. He's, if you're appeasing someone, he's actually over you. 
um, a ransom is a price set by somebody, right? If I, if I kidnap somebody, um, I set the price. Who set the price? God. The Father set the price. Christ did not pay a ransom to Satan. He paid a ransom to the Father. Hang on. I've redeemed these. Right? And he sets them in the his their names in the book. If you remember the picture, uh he Christ comes at the end. It was, it, it's it, the picture of judgment. And he says, Here, Father, are the children whom you gave to me. Right? All the pictures, really, Christ, Satan's in the story, but he's a, he's a bit player in the story. We make him out to be a lot more important than he is. He's powerful. I don't want to make him not powerful. But he's not that important. So what's the right way to understand the verse that you have in Hebrews then? Is it, is it correct to say it's a side effect then? The yes. Ransom, there's no... So, you don't have to fear that right. because the ransom was paid to God. Right. To... Right. Right. And, and, and I think in doing that, you, 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 you recognize the role of Satan. Right? We, we are under his power, but not because he owns me. But because I've, I've placed myself in the sphere where he exists, that, that's, that's the danger of Satan, where, where I give in to his temptations. But I've, he's, the Bible pictures him as chained, too. He's, he's not just you know, all-powerful, doing what he wants to do. He's very limited. And the Bible is full of pictures of his limitations. Uh, the Bible says that hell was made for him. We get to go there. But the Bible says it was actually made for him. So. I think there's an infatuation with a lot of religions about that relationship. Yeah. Because, and it, honestly, I think it's a lot, it's conjecture based upon like the first couple of chapters of right. Job, where it's like, there's like that negotiation like you're talking about with right. money and stuff like that, where they don't understand that there for he exists for just a certain purpose and God's allowing it right but that depiction kind of gets well and even in that depiction in Job he's extremely limited he's, he's limited he, he's it like, sounds like it's a it, it, it's, it opens with this dialogue if you don't understand that it's that it's not a pure relationship right it can have that impression of hey they're negotiating back and forth and right like Job's just a token that gets used by, right. by both sides it's just you don't understand like what's really going on, and probably if you don't read all fifty some chapters that you're, you know, and you don't see the ending of it, which probably a lot of people don't. Right. You don't really understand in the first right. chapters what that relationship actually is. Mm-hmm. So, um, and of course, the other deep flaws. He wasn't around when God thought of the plan. So, so the deep magic. Sorry, Satan. You weren't there for your end of the deep magic. Other people were negotiating that. Um, so, and it's called, it's called, think, like every statement you can think of works to that because what is the idea? 
Christ in the garden wasn't begging Satan to be freed from it. He's like, Father, if there's any other way, nevertheless, your will. This was an arrangement between them. Every statement minimizes Satan's role. The last one, and this is the one that we go, now, Andrew, this is, this is, I think you've gone too far. And this is where man is the object of the cross. And you say, wait a minute. We're clearly the object of the cross. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have died if it wasn't for us. Am I not the object of the cross uh, since the ransom was paid for us? John chapter 12, verse 32. I'm going to try to get through this pretty quick because we're coming up on the time. John chapter 12, verse uh, 32. And Bruce, could you read that? Okay, reference to the cross, reference to man. Pretty simple, right? Uh, the logic, uh, I would say, certainly lends itself to showing that we are more than bit players in this story. We're, you know, we're not supporting cast. We are a part of the main plot of Christ's death. But... Um, I want to talk about the object of the cross specifically. Because um, we, we, we talk about this, Christ had to die. Like, like he was, like there's something intrinsic in the cross that Christ had to do it. Christ had to do it because it was the arrangement that existed before me, before whatever. So uh, I want to look at two different ideas one was, um, it kind of, it's spouted by Peter Abelard, uh, who was a theologian around 1180. His view was that the purpose of the cross was to show God's love. This is very similar to what we talked about before, and therefore move man to repentance. That's why the cross. So, uh, instead of just saying, you know, uh, God could have negotiated any type of redemption plan. Why this one? Well, it was there to, to show harshness so that we would be moved towards repentance. That was Peter Abelard. That's not me. Uh, about 400 years later, a guy by the name of uh, Hugo Grotius, if I'm pronouncing that correct, uh, had almost the exact opposite view and he said the purpose of the cross is to be such an awful picture of sin kind of like we talked about the sacrifices that it moves us to want to it, it, like a deterrent like it's so awful oh the death of Christ it's a deterrent I want to stay away from the sin I, and it's not that those aren't pieces of it certainly the the death of christ should make me right love him by illustrating love and and certainly it should also be a a picture of this was an awful thing that happened because of my sin as a part of the collective that's 
um, the flaw in this, the flaw in here, uh, it works similarly to the interpersonal view, uh, except in if you combine Peter and Hugo's views, it's like Christ is playing good cop, bad cop. Yeah, that's what it gets reduced to. Whereas uh, we're going to get, and I haven't really said, like, I haven't countered each of these with Scripture, and that's because what we're going to do is then establish what the purpose of the cross is from this point on. We're establishing the wrong view. Now we're going to look at the scriptures on what the purpose of the cross is. So I'm not just like, this is the wrong view and here's my opinion. Right, we're we're going to get into God's opinion on the matter. Uh, that, that there's a real reason for the cross. Uh, and, and, and that that is going to have to do with a different object. The object is not me, I'm very, very, very closely connected. It's certainly not Satan. It's not a fuzzy relationship, and it's not the 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 main aim of the of of Christ's death is not to satisfy some policy covenant issue. Right? It's it's got a much deeper significance than any of these things, and we're at time. So um, we'll pick this up. Uh, next week.